considering he's Callancy's first black or even semi-black man, an American with Jewish green eye and piratical eye patch to boot, the islanders have assimilated him without much fuss. A few days of aphasic shock when he walked into the cost cutter, the warmth of stairs when his back was turned, then they made the shift. Collective intuition says he's come to die among them, so curiosity overrides. They want his story. The teenagers call him Captain Mandela, a handful of enlightened souls, Mr. Rose. The majority, that black chap. A tiny minority, matter-of-factly, the nigger, or the coon. Augustus Rose. His birth names returned to him like a child he abandoned, who against all odds is full of forgiveness. You must be out your head. I promise you, Mr. Maddock, I'm entirely sane. Mrs. Carr, the postmistress, had supplied Maddock's name after Augustus had seen the ruined croft and inquired, There's no hot water. Christ, man, it's not habitable. I could do a bit of work on it while I'm there. Visible incredulity from the farmer. The two of them sat face to face over pints of Guinness in a snug of the Heathcote arms. Heads had turned when Augustus thumped in on his stick, the room's dark wood and dull brass livened. It was late autumn and drizzling. The landlord had lit the fire. Augustus felt its heat on his cheekbones. Maddox's donkey jacket released curls of steam. Well, I don't see why you'd want that when you can just as easy stay at the Bellevue. They'd circled this question via the Croft's broken boiler and choked chimney, the leaking roof, the mold, the mice, the rot, the fundamental absurdity of the proposition. Maddock rolled cigarettes with tea ceremony precision, once reached down to stroke the pub's arthritic Labrador, who'd stood sadly absorbing the affection for a minute before turning and limping away. The animal was dying, Augustus knew, since like spoke to like. It looked lumpily taxidermed already. I need my own company, Mr. Maddock. You understand. Exhaustion ruled Augustus, but out of it sprang intuitive certainties. Nothing new had entered the farmer's life for a long time. Now the man's curiosity was alert. Ditto the other islanders. They wanted the one-eyed stranger. Believed he was something. Feeling this, Augustus almost got up and left. The pain in his kneecaps prosaically stopped him. Underneath it, a grander inertia. He saw how stupid he'd been to remain among people. Should have crawled into the Sahara or the Alaskan wilderness. Antarctica, the rough honor of being eaten by a polar bear, blood and guts in the snow, red and white, like Christmas. Maddock leaned back in his seat and sucked on a roll-up. Eyes narrowed against the smoke. Curiosity notwithstanding, there remained money paranoia. A deal this good had to be a trick. Augustus wanted to rest his head on the pint-ring table. Go out. Go out. Quite. Go. Out. The pub smelled of tobacco. Spilled beer, furniture polish, unbeaten carpet, all the way back to horse-drawns and powdered wigs. How long are we talking about? Maddock asked. I mean, assuming it's for rent. In Augustus's earliest years, 
Hat stands or clouds or wallpaper patterns or dogs or mere empty spaces in certain light blurted clues to the world's hidden meaning. He suffered many near epiphanies. His mother's Catholicism was visceral, sporadic, and inaccurate, but sufficient that out of the nebulous mass, God, Jesus, Mary, and the devil soon hardened and descended with the grammar and math of sin and atonement. By the time he was four, infancy's numinous anarchy had clarified into angels, miracles, souls, prayers, and the everlasting horror barbecue of hell. His mother was part of the cosmogony, though she didn't know it. Practically, her motherhood was unreliable. Augustus often found himself in the grudging care of neighbors, and there was a dark lipstick he didn't like on her. Days she couldn't get out of bed but lay on her side, with her mouth squashed against the mattress, saying, Jesus, every now and again.